I apologize for my voice. Um, I, like uh, White said, I'm Scott Weatherford. Really honored to be here. Uh, Tara and I, and my wife, Tara, she's here on the front row. If you see a woman too far too pretty to be married to me, that's Tara. And uh, we've been married uh, only a brief time now for 35 years. We've been together and you look at her and you look at me and I say, if you were that well taken care of, you'd look that good too. So that's, okay, this is gonna be a hard crowd. I can already tell, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, my uh, voice, I left it in Montana. Last week, Tara and I had the privilege of going with some friends of ours to Big Sky, Montana, where uh, they, they skied and, and Tara and I snowshoed. Anybody ever snowshoed? It's right, one person, two people. It's right out of three people. It's right out of the, no, somebody was scratching back there. It's out of, your preacher's got quick eyes. If a hand goes up, we see them wherever they are. Uh, it's right out of the pit of hell, snowshoeing is. Yeah, but it's spiritual. I thought I was gonna die at any moment. And uh, somehow in the sweating and the cold, I, I got a cold and lost my voice, but that's okay. Haven't lost my enthusiasm, but I have lost my enthusiasm for snowshoeing. I think I've done that. And we're good, but we really had a great time. Wyatt talked about who I am. Let me tell you a little more, more about that. I grew up in Florida on the beach of, of Northwest Florida, the panhandle of Florida. It's also called LA, Lower Alabama. And it's a beautiful place. And I went to Florida State University where I received a degree, a degree in voice performance. Now you listen to my voice now, you don't think I would sing but I would be singing opera today had it not been for talent. That's what <laughs> kind of got in my way there. Tara has uh, also her degree from Florida State in fashion merchandising, but she also has a degree in early childhood education where she specializes in kindergarten, kids with special needs, autism, uh, English as a second language. All of those things fit perfectly into our marriage. So she is also professional with all those things. Uh, God has really given us a great opportunity. We've been on church staffs where I was the minister of music and youth and education and bus driver and janitor and all those things. When the pastor doesn't want you to do something, you did that and did that. And, but in 1992, uh, Tara and I left the mega church in Houston to plant our first church. And we planted the Parkway Church in Victoria, Texas. That grew from a, a very small 39 people to a church of several thousands, a regional church of several thousands. And we helped uh, start 40 churches across North America. It was a great experience. We were there for 15 years. And we left that church. We went and started another church for college kids at Florida State. Now, God knows Florida State needs a church. And we started a church there. College kids have no money. Do you remember that? Yeah, some of you know that. Some of you are in the middle of suffering from maltuition. <laughs> Doesn't get any better. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> but we started a church there, and God had then in his mercy got us into what's called church revitalization, where he asked us to go to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, to the First Alliance Church there, a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination, which basically are Baptists. They just didn't know it. I helped them discover that. And we went there and we served there for five and a half years, a church uh, that was uh, 70 years old. And what I said is we taught a 70-year-old girl with two artificial hips how to dance again. And it went from a church of about 1,800 to a church of about 5,000. And uh, we saw God, a church that baptized maybe 20 people a year, 
baptizing three and 400 people a year. And we saw God do an amazing thing. Now get this, when we were there, we, um, very white church, by the time we left, we had 48 different people groups represented in our church. And I was translated into four languages every weekend. They threatened to translate me into English, but I kept uh, pushing on that. I said, you just got to learn to speak Texan. And uh, then we, God sent us to Alabama where we transitioned another very broken church. And then God asked us to join this, uh, this movement of church coaching and revitalization. And now I work for a group of guys called the 127 Group, which means if the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, Psalm 127. And most importantly, I'm the executive director of Sterizo. Sterizo is the Greek word for strengthen. <coughs> and it's based on Luke chapter 21, verse 33, when Jesus says to Simon, 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 Satan has asked permission to sift each one of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that after you've repented and returned, Starizo, strengthen the brothers. So the call to the last part of my ministry, who knows how that's going to be? I'm only 27. Who knows how that's going to be? That uh, is to strengthen the brothers. And so that's why we come to you today. Um, Wyatt mentioned I am an author. I have a book out. It's fresh, and you can get it on Amazon. All the proceeds from my book go to my favorite charity, which is my wife. And uh, it's Sifted Leadership is the name of the book, Sifted Leadership. And it's our journey of how God has sifted us and used us over these times. On January the 29th, Tara and I had been in a 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, folks, you can look at me and tell that fasting is not one of my spiritual disciplines. Don't judge me, okay? See, but fasting is not what you give up. It's what you focus on. And so we spent 21 days of doing the Daniel fast. Daniel ought to have been the skinniest guy in Babylon. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> Eating vegetables and water for 21 days was a challenging, but it was wonderful. My wife knows I'm lying now. It was a, it was a great experience on the 29th, I didn't share this earlier, Wyatt. On the 29th that morning, I journaled my prayer. I said, God, I just want to have an opportunity to invest in the lives of people by preaching your word. And that afternoon, Wyatt called and asked me to come preach here. God is faithful. And so I'm showing up today. You've been on my heart. I didn't know who Wyatt was. I've got to be his friend now. He's an awesome guy. He likes to fish. That makes him a good guy. Anybody likes to fish is one of Jesus' guys because Jesus recruited fishermen. Did you know that? And so I've been praying for you and deciding what I needed to speak to you on this day. It seems to me that somehow in my assignment in ministry, I get to show up the day or the Sunday after the other preacher left. I'm going to preach next week at a church in Arizona where this week they've asked their pastor to leave. And I'll be preaching to the congregation that's now going to find out that their pastor has left. So that's, you pray for me, okay? That's going to be a challenge. But I got to thinking about your pastor is gone. Now you loved him, and now he's moved on to North Carolina. I cannot, for the life of me, imagine why guy would leave Texas for North Carolina. That makes no sense. I can't imagine anybody leaving Texas for anything. You know, it's where Jesus lives here in Texas. 
and uh, you know, God bless Texas. I didn't grow up in Texas, but I sure got Texas all over me now. My daughter is a UT grad. We got any horns up in the house? There we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm support by tuition. $100,000 will make you a fan. That's all I say. Yeah. My son-in-law as well. Tara and I have two children. Uh, Caleb lives in Austin, and uh, Kali and John live in New Braunfels, and uh, they have a little girl named Ivy. And Ivy is, uh, she's almost two, and it's proof that grandchildren are the reward for not killing your children. <laughs> just, just remember that. So each time you're tempted to take one of them, said, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of this world. Just remember grandchildren are on the way, and they're just such a blessing. But we're really grateful to be here this morning. And I thought, what can I share with you today? So, you know, as a, I'm going to have to move this mic. As a pastor... I've been preaching for a long, long time. I could have just reached in and grabbed a message and you wouldn't know any different. But I really prayed and said, and Tara and I talked about this, what do you need to hear today from the Lord? And what I want to do is hopefully encourage you by talking to you about joy, about joy. Because sometimes in the middle of transitions, you can lose your joy. You could get discouraged. You can get sidetracked. Now, I have a smartphone. Anybody else have a smartphone? My phone is far smarter than I am. Uh, my kids are always teaching me how to use things on my smartphone. Then I forget how to use it on my, on my smartphone. But I have an app on my phone called Find My Phone. That makes no sense to me. If I lose my phone, I can't find my app to find my phone. Why do I have that on my phone? And my daughter says, silly daddy, you put it on mama's phone. She can't find her phone most of the time. The older I get, the more I think about the hereafter. I walk into a room and wonder what I'm here after. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> but she says, put it on your iPad. What I've discovered is I need an app to find my joy because my joy is often tied to my circumstances or my selfishness. I want what I want when I want it. And I struggle with that, and I lose my joy. You know, Terry and I have been married for 35 years, and I know it's probably hard to believe, but from time to time, we get into an argument. We have a disagreement. Actually, we really don't have a disagreement. She's in full agreement. I just need to adjust to her agreement. And I've said to her in our marriage, I said, you make me so mad. In reality, what I should be saying to her she revealed to me how selfish I truly am because most of our conflict is rooted in my selfishness. Well, sometimes her, but she's sitting right there, so I'm going, I have to go home and live with her, so I'm going to be nice. But it's rooted in my selfishness, and so is my perspective of joy. And somehow we believe, in the Christian world in particular, that when you come to Jesus, well, you just get grumpy. You just get sidetracked and sullen and legalistic and judgmental and you're against everything and we're supposed to be the most joyous people in the world because our future is secure and our hope is confident but we lose our joy. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, sometimes we don't agree with that. In fact, I've taught through Philippians several times and every time I've said that, some frozen, chosen saint gets insulted. 
Because preacher, we're not supposed to have fun in church. In fact, when I first started preaching, I had a guy in our church came to me and said, Pastor, do we have to have all those jokes you tell? I said, well, I'm choking off about 90% of what's coming in my brain. He says, well, I guess we should be grateful. That's right. Now, some of you I've already made mad this morning because I parked in your parking place. You see a black truck out there, it's got 127. You go, who in the world is that? And what does that mean? They're not even saved. They're parking in my spot. Now, I know I didn't sit in your seat because I sat on the front row. Ain't nobody sitting on the front row in the Baptist church. Unless you're on staff and you have to, right, Ian? That's it, yeah. Your beautiful wife sitting beside you so you'll behave. We know what that's about, brother. That's right. That's right. I got one like that too. But the thing is, is joy really tied to my preference or is it tied to my Savior? I need joy that's real that comes from Jesus. Nehemiah said it this way. The joy of the Lord is your what? For those of you who can read, what does that say? Strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now you think about that, okay? If that's true, and it is, then I really need to turn to heaven to find joy. I need to turn away from my circumstances, and I need to turn towards Jesus. So this morning in this season of transition, I want to encourage you, I want to take you on a, an adventure of joy, of finding joy and finding discovery. Now, if I had, all, I had a lot of time, this may be my last time, but I would talk you through the whole book of Philippians and show you, in spite of circumstances and situations, God wants to lavish joy on you. Now, we're going to use the word lavish. I want to give you a word picture, okay? My mama who lives with Jesus, she used to make chocolate pie as a ministry. I can't think of any better way to say to somebody I love you than to hand them a chocolate pie. Now, she wouldn't share her recipe with anybody until I did a series on home cooking and I stole the recipe and published it in the cookbook and she never knew, but she's with Jesus now, so it's all right. But my mama would take this pie, this chocolate pudding pie, and she would take egg whites and sugar and cream of tartar. She would whip it together to make a beautiful meringue. And she would take this. Y'all ever been to the Blue Bonnet Cafe? Oh, yeah, they do that too. And she lavished meringue on top of it. Lavished it. Then she would slide it into the oven and let it bake. And then golden dewdrops would appear all over the meringue. And it was the metaphysical, mystical movement of God that the angels would come and weep golden teardrops because they could not eat that pie. That's the word, the Greek word for lavish. He's given us more than we ever deserve. And he's lavishing his love and his joy on you. I'll also love Nehemiah when he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He also said, eat the fat. <laughs> he wasn't with Daniel. So Tara, can we do 21 days of, no, we're not gonna get to do that, okay. All right, so let's go on this adventure together. And I want to strengthen the joy of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit in your hearts today. You guys ready for this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you wanna say and do in the lives of these people this morning. And I pray, Father, that you will help me concentrate. 
that you will speak through me and your words will be truth and life, bread and honey, milk and meat to these folks that have gathered here this morning. And I pray that we'll be encouraged because we've been together with you and your word has given us your joy that is our strength. We pray this in Christ's strong name. Amen. Now I want you to flip over your worship guides, bulletins, whatever you call them, and I want you to be able to write down some things because I think you want to take some notes. I may say some things you're going to want to remember. I'm probably going to say a whole lot of things you're going to want to forget. Don't write those down. But the ones you want to remember, write those down because I want to go on this adventure for you. The book of Philippians is a fascinating book to me because Paul wrote this, this book of joy. Warren Wearsby, the a great theologian. He was pastor of the Moody Bible Church. Can you imagine following Dwight L. Moody as pastor? I mean, Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist preacher, Warren Wearsby, pastor of the church Dwight L. Moody started. In fact, my friend Erwin Lutzer is a pastor there now. and Erwin's uh, an amazing, great, gifted communicator and theologian as well. But Warren Wearsby calls this book, Be Joyful. Every theologian talks about Paul's writing to the Philippian church as one of joy. Paul wrote this from prison. Now, the Roman prison, Roman incarceration of those days was nothing like what we would think of today. You had to be fed by your friends and families. He was more than likely chained to a guard all the time because they were afraid of him escaping. And he was in prison for insurrection against the government. He was considered a dangerous man. So he was not like, some soft, easy federal prison thing, and he was, had death literally looming over him at all times. Paul had a couple of prison experiences. Of course, his last one, according to tradition, ended in a beheading. Uh, Paul was, he was beheaded for the cause of Christ. Do you know every apostle was martyred except for John? And John, according to Fox Books of Martyrs, John was boiled in oil and did not die and then was cast on the Isle of Patmos where he had his revelation. Being boiled in oil explains a lot of revelation to me. I mean, when you get cooked like that, you see all kinds of stuff. And so that was the life of the apostle. Somehow we've let this gospel of convenience and comfort slip into the gospel of truth and grace. Living for Jesus is worth it. Paul was writing to a group of people that he really loved. Now, let's look at Philippi, of the Philippians, Philippi. It's a city named after King Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great conquered the world, but he couldn't conquer himself. And he died as a young man without hope after he conquered everything he saw. And Philippi was a great metropolitan city. Paul was sent there by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Paul had a Macedonian call, and he left out of obedience to the Holy Spirit. He did not think about his comfort or safety. He just went. Let me say this to you. When you say yes to Jesus, you give up your rights to location and convenience. I guess that's why folks leave Texas and go to North Carolina. You give up your rights. Paul went to Philippi. The first person he meets there is, is Lydia. She's a fashionista. She's got a dress boutique down by the riverbank. She's sister had been to Charm and Charlie's. 
She had her bangles and beads on. She was, anybody know what Charming Charlie's is? Guys are looking at me like, was that a feed store? I mean, yeah, it's a feed store, all right. They'll feed your money to that store is what'll happen. Crazy place. Okay, they're chasing a rabbit now. Help him, Jesus. All right, we're back on track. He meets Lydia there in a gathering of believers and the movement of God starts. The ecclesia of God, which is the Greek word for assembly, called out, called together for a movement. The assembly, called out, called together for a movement. So where we get our word for church starts. Not in a building, but in a people. This church is not a building. It's a people. It's you. Called out, called together for a movement for King Jesus. He meets Lydia, and then they start moving through the town, and there's this, this slave girl who's got a demon. She keeps announcing that Paul and his music guy, Silas, they're, uh, they're going about it. He says, these are men of God. These are men of God. Paul got tired of it, turns around, casts the demon out of her. Demon flees, girl turns to normal, loses all of her economic benefit for her master. He gets mad, has Paul arrested. In fact, the same word ecclesia is used there in, in Acts when it talks about the mob, the assembly, then called out for a movement to throw Paul in jail. Paul is beaten and thrown into jail and he's laying there in jail and he and Silas start singing and the singing was so bad an earthquake hit. I mean, bad. And an earthquake hit. And so the Philippian jailer, fearing that all the prisoners were gone and therefore he'd be killed, he asked a very practical question. He pulled out his sword to take his life. Paul said, wait, we're all here. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Y'all, he wasn't talking about walking the aisle. He was talking about Physical salvation. Listen to me. Paul gave him the complete answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved physically, relationally, and spiritually. Because Jesus always takes care of us three ways. Physically, Jesus fed people. He healed people. Relationally, he restored people and spiritually he calls them home and he makes you whole. I'll tell you something, I'm gonna make a confession right now. I'd follow Jesus if heaven wasn't part of the deal. But it is, it is. And so the Philippian jailer heard the holistic gospel and he and his oikos, that's the Greek word for household. It's not yogurt, y'all. It's good yogurt, though. They all responded, and the church was launched. And Paul left Philippi never to return. But his heart stayed there. And the Philippians were so grateful to him that they supported Paul in his ministry. They were the only church to help Paul financially. Paul talks about that at the end of Philippians. He talks about your generosity to me. And I know my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And you've been used by God to supply my needs. So what happened here? 
I think Paul wrote with this fondness for these people he loved. I pastored a few churches in my life. I want to tell you something. I still love those people. I love them. I told him that. I said, just because I'm leaving don't mean I'm, I'm not loving. It's a couple of friends of ours said this week, he says, I think you and Tara go out through the world and gather friends. That's right. Because love lasts and love stays. And Paul was writing to them and encouraged them. You remember in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the Philippian church. He says, in your great, your great poverty is welled up in great generosity. See, they weren't defined by their circumstances. They didn't look at their wallet and say, oh my gosh, it's empty. They said, they looked at their wallet and said, oh my gosh, God is faithful. God is faithful. And so Paul writes with these things in his heart. So let me just kind of walk through this in the few moments I have remaining. Paul starts in chapter one and he gives some brief introductions. In chapter one, verses three through six, he says this. Now I want you to hold on. In fact, you want to write this down. God delivers joy through his people, through people. God uses people to be a conduit of joy. Now, some of you hear that and you kind of went, no, people are a pain. Have you driven in Austin traffic? People are a pain. Listen to what Paul says. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. If you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it till now, you've joined with me in the commonality of the gospel. This gives me joy. You know, I met Wyatt over the phone, met him in person, I think it was Friday. Every time I think about him, I have great joy because we're partners. I met Ian today and Dan today, even though I called Dan Dave. Sorry, Dan Dave. Give you a new name now, Dan Dave. Yeah, you're from Texas. You're supposed to have two names anyway, brother. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And just that, that joy of partnering, it comes from the Lord. And I'm certain that God had began, I love this, listen to this. And I am certain that God who began the good work in you, within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I am certain. Now, I'm, I didn't say this in the first service because they weren't listening. I'm going to say it to y'all. We quote Romans 8, 28 a lot. For God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him are called according to his purpose, right? We quote that. woo that's awesome. We forget 29. With 20 signs says, for those he foreknow, knew, foreknew, he predestined them to become like Jesus the good that God wants to do in your life is not for your comfort or care or convenience. It's so that you'll become like Jesus. I like that. Because all of a sudden, life is not about me. I'm not the center of the universe. Jesus is. You see, relationships, I want you to write this down. Relationships make life rich. They do. I am so grateful to God for my wife. I don't say that because she's sitting here, but I'm hoping it's going to work for my benefit that I did say that. I'm grateful for her. She has enriched my life. 
Our little granddaughter came along. I had no idea how much a little girl could enrich my life. She's a little toot. She says no to everything. No. But she don't say no to Papa much because Papa ain't ever going to say no to her. You know, I just ain't going to say no to her. If she, uh, I play a harmonica. You don't want to hear it, but I play it. She'll bring it to me. She'll say, Papa, play. And I'll play and she'll dance. And she's not a Baptist yet, so she'll get over it. And then when I finish, she'll say, again, joy, joy. And that we're to give joy to one another. Now, what I have noticed is that there's three kinds of relationships. There's people who bring joy. There's people who drain joy and people who just don't matter. Which are you? Do you bring joy? Do you drain joy? Or you just don't matter? My prayer is that we will be people who give joy. We need people to bring joy, but looking to people to please people without pleasing the Lord will devastate your life. That I want to love you because I love Jesus. And I want you to know that you're loved by Jesus because I love you. Hmm. Paul said this, that a common bond with Jesus and the gospel is the source of joy. That's why we should people who breed joy for one another. We want to make it, breed it, be contagious with it. Um, we were in Canada. Tara and I lived in a small town right outside of Calgary called Okotoks, and it's a native word for big rock. There was a big rock there, and they named it Okotoks. Hard to spell, but uh, summertime in Canada was awesome. Both days, they were fantastic. Anyway, there was a little girl in our church who also lived in Okotoks. <coughs> she was about seven or eight. And uh, for some of this, we had a, it was a big church. We had all this children's ministry, and, and I never saw the kids. They never mixed with me, and I never, they never saw me. But somehow they knew who I was. And they knew I was Papa Scott. Maybe it's because I always had peppermints in my pocket. They always said, well, that just sounded creepy. I don't think I'll talk about that anymore. But, um, <laughs> but they knew that I, I loved them. And um, this little girl, she'd come see me every Sunday. She'd bring me a picture. Or we'd talk. And, and um, I was going through Costco. Y'all, you know where Costco is, y'all? You know what Costco is? It's the most wonderful place in the world. You can buy more of what you don't need and a lot of it, and you can sample it before you buy it. And who knows that you could buy 9 million chicken burgers at one time? Who knew that? I didn't know that there were that many chickens in the world, much less you buy that. But we were in Costco, and I was walking down Costco, and uh, I saw her. She was at a distance, and she saw me. Our eyes met, and I saw her. She started shaking. And she was saying to her mama, there he is, there he is, there he is, there he is. Like he exists outside of the church building, there he is, he's real, it's like Santa Claus, I just saw him. And I walked over to her and greeted her and, man, I want to be that guy to everybody. And still, oh, there he is. Which are you? Are you the joy giver? or the joy drainer, or you just don't matter. 
as you look at your life, you say, Paul was saying, you Philippians, man, give me joy because you met Jesus and Jesus changed you. Now, here's something I've learned, that God sends people into our lives, even those that are difficult, to teach us to be more loving. He does. Now, next time you think somebody's a pain in the neck or it works its way down from the neck, just remember, God has placed them in your life to make you more loving. Some of you realize now for the first time in your life why you're married. <laughs> to teach you to be more loving. Paul goes on to say in verses 7 through 19 that the types of relationships that matter. He talks about partnership. And then he talks about, this is a strange passage. He talks about, you know, there's some folks that preach for their own motives and their own reasons and and it really doesn't matter what motives they have because Jesus has preached and it's all good. What Paul was saying is that, you know, you shouldn't worry about people's motives. Most of the time you don't even know your own motives. How are you going to know somebody else's motives? Just trust in Jesus and let him give you joy that's overflowing in your life because that's what he does. So, even when people's motives are unclear or impure, Jesus is still Lord. He's still Lord. Now, here's the next thing I took away from this. In verse 20, Paul says this, that God uses problems to bring joy. What? That's just stupid. I mean, I don't like, you guys like problems? No. I like being healthy, wealthy, and wise, don't you? I don't like adversity, but I'll tell you something. The road to Christ-likeness is paved with the cobblestones of adversity. In this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world, Jesus said, and that life is hard, and it gets harder. Let me read this for you. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. Now, I love this about Paul because Paul is showing how his systematic theology is being developed through his writings. He wrote Philippians before he wrote Romans. And in Romans chapter one, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I know it's a power of God unto salvation for the Jews and the Greeks. That's what he said. But what he said here, I hope I'm not gonna be ashamed. By the time he got to Romans, I ain't ashamed. He settled it. I love that the fact that God is working on me all the time. Don't you? Now, some of you have made commitments in the past that you're squirrely in the present, but God's holding on to your future. I am not ashamed. Paul said that, and I love that, how that just jumped out at me this morning as I was reading that again. But that I would continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or whether I die, it doesn't matter. Whether I live, whether I die. You see, God uses problems to refine my character. And I grow best under pressure. Ladies, if you have a diamond ring, hold your hand up. That's an example of growing best under pressure right there. Because that diamond on your hand was a dinosaur a few million years ago. But God squeezed it and made it a ring for your finger. And you squeezed him and he bought it for you, right? 
Yeah. The pressure that God has brought through your character. James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, he said, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. James is crazy. I mean, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But he's right. You see, joy is a fruit, a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness. What's the last one? Self-control. It's a singular fruit. My little granddaughter likes these halo oranges, easy to peel and come apart. I think about that's the fruit of the Spirit. I like that whole thing, but I eat it a piece at a time. Are you with me? So next time you eat an orange, it becomes a spiritual experience. That this is the fruit of the Spirit. My troubles can define me or they can refine me all for Jesus. You see, God never wastes a hurt. God loves to take your misery and make it a ministry. God loves to take your mess and make a message of his redemption. Some of you may be thinking this morning, you don't know what a mess I am. I don't. Jesus does. And Jesus says, come on. I can make a great pot of soup out of that mess. And I can nourish others through your misery. You know, we think about in the church, oh, the greatest ministry of the church is preaching. No, it's not. Greatest ministry of the church is music. No, it's not. Oh, the greatest ministry of the church is Sunday school or small groups. No, it's not. Well, the greatest ministry of the church is youth ministry. No, it's not. Well, it's kids ministry. No, it's not. It's broken people telling other broken people there's a Savior who can heal them. That is the greatest ministry in the church. That's where the church becomes the hope of the world, not just a collection point for the already convinced. Wow. When we lived in Canada... Tara got very involved with human trafficking and the sex trade and standing against it. There were many an afternoon where Tara would spend an afternoon with the prostitute, ministering and talking to them, loving them, helping them, and watching misery become ministry. Mess become message. Changes the way you think. I was in a conversation with a couple of preachers the other day. They said, Oh, she's just a prostitute. I said, Excuse me. Do you know who Rahab was? Yeah. Do you know what she did? Yeah. That's Jesus' grandmother. Told me fast back about Jesus' grandma. We may have to go outside. Daughters. 
who should be redeemed and not objectified. Misery to ministry. Mess to a message. God wants to shift my perspective because I do not need to see the world as I see the world. I need to see the world as Jesus sees the world. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, life is hard, but Jesus is Lord, so I'll rejoice. I heard that preached by John Orkberg many years ago, probably 25 years ago. And it stuck with me, that same passage. So I translated to Texas. Life is hard, suck it up, buttercup. Jesus is Lord. Woo-hoo, let's go. Let's go. Mm. You see, Paul had a surrendered life. Now, Jesus, he does this to you. He says, come and see. Come on, come and see. Then he'll say, come and follow. He'll say, come and serve me. And then he says, come and die. Paul had came and died. Paul was dead man walking. He said this to the church in Galatia. For I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me, and the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Jesus, I'm yours. Paul's life was not perfect. He wasn't perfect. But his God was perfect. His God was faithful. And his God is your God. I want you to do something with me. It's going to be sort of Pentecostal, but relax. We won't, get, we won't be too crazy, okay? I want you to hold up your left hand. I'll turn around so y'all guys know which one's your left one, okay? That one. But you hold up your left hand. And I want you to say to your left hand, just look at your left hand and say to your left hand, sometimes I'm not faithful. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Sometimes I'm not faithful. Now I want you to hold up your right hand. Now don't get it over your shoulders, okay? That's good. All right, no, I'm teasing. Okay, get it as high as you want to. I want you to say to this hand, okay? I'm going to tell you what this right hand represents. To the Hebrews, the right hand represented the salvation of God. In the rabbinical writings of the Talmud, the young boy asked his father, how's the world held? And the father will say, oh, the world's floating in a bowl of water. He said, oh, great, who's holding the bowl? He said, well, the angels of God are holding the bowl. He said, well, where are the angels standing? He said, on the righteous right hand of God. And the boy's answer. The right hand of God. I want you to that right hand right now and say, but God is faithful. Sometimes I'm not faithful, but God is faithful. Therefore, I'm going to rejoice. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your strength. All right, y'all, bottom line, I'm not good at this. Somebody asked Terry the other morning 
If she woke up grumpy in the morning, she says, now nah, let him sleep. <laughs> I need this. We lived in Canada. You know, the Canadians are a little different. They wanted to practice Lent. I grew up Southern Baptist. Lent something in your pocket or your belly button. You know, you, you know like, what is this? And that was creepy. I apologize for that. But um, <laughs> they kept saying, you need to give up something. You need to give up something. You give up something. So I made a declaration to my staff. We had about 70 staff. I said, all right, gang, for, for Lent, I'm going to give up being grumpy. 40 days of no grumpy. Tara helped me. I want to give up life of being grumpy. I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength. I want to abide in his presence regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the assignments, regardless of the adversity. But I need help. I need Jesus. We were in green the other day and I saw a t-shirt that says, y'all need Jesus. I started to wear it today. Cooler in this dead gum suit. We need Jesus. So what do I do? What do I need to do? I can give you an app on your phone that says find your joy, but it ain't gonna work because you'll lose it. What do you need to do? You know, one day I'm gonna be in the presence of the Lord. I thought it was gonna be the other day snowshoeing. One day, God's going to step out on the great front porch of heaven and he's going to declare the no mores. He's going to say, no more. No more death. You're done. You're done. No more shame. No more sorrow. No more separation. I like this one. No more tears because I'm going to take my holy, nail-pierced hands and I'm going to wipe the tears from your eyes. I can still remember the rough hands of my father wiping the tears from my childish face and wiping the tears from my adult face as I stood with him as he was at the point of death. And he said, son, it ain't nothing but a little dying. No more. But until that time, I want Jesus. I want all of him. And I want to live in his joy. And I want his joy to be contagious for me. How about you?